Okay, grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus now? Well, here we are one week after Easter. We've already heard in the gospel lesson just how excited the disciples were to see Jesus, their Lord, on Easter. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine your friend dead and now alive? And then a week later, Jesus shows himself to Thomas, and he was ever glad. My Lord and my God, he exclaimed. Can you imagine? And the presence of Jesus brings peace. Peace be with you, he said. Now you know the rest of the story. Jesus shows himself to many more people, and then after 40 days, he ascended into heaven. And the church grew, even among lots of persecution, the church still grew. Fast forward now, 60 years to the end of the first century. Christianity has spread throughout the Mediterranean world and Asia Minor, and it has survived the persecution of the likes of such Roman emperors as Caligula, Claudius, Nero, Vespasian, and Domitian. Domitian, who wanted the Christians to integrate their faith with the Roman way and worship him as God. And because they wouldn't, he heavily persecuted the Christians. And that's where we find ourselves in the reading for today. We're at the end of the first century, and there's one disciple still living. Yep, he's in his 90s, and his name is John. And he is commanded to write what he saw and deliver it to the seven churches of Asia Minor and to us. So let me read this to you. It promises a blessing. So listen carefully to Revelations chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, 
Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he had he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so we have this incredible vision portrayed for us and often in Revelations we get these fantastic visions and the analogy is not explained. The first century readers probably could figure it out, but we 20 centuries removed have to do a little bit more research. However, in this instance, we get it explained for us. Revelations 1 verse 20. The seven stars are the, se are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, when you come to Revelation, you're going to get all of this deep imagery and sometimes people will speculate what it means. But here God serves us up very kindly by saying they are seven lampstands and they are the seven churches of Asia Minor. And this is what the church is to be like, right? Jesus is what? He's the light of the world. And the metaphor is that the world is filled with darkness and sin and evil and death. And Jesus comes to bring truth and love, and mercy, and healing, and life, and light. He is the light in the midst of the darkness, and the church is supposed to be that place from which the light of Jesus goes out. So we're to be like a lamp, not hidden under a bushel, but shining forth with the light of God's love in Christ. So a good question to stop and ask ourselves, are we as a church, as a family of believers, are we a light? to our world? Do we bring hope and direction and warmth and clarity and truth and love? And so the light that is supposed to come out of the church, the love, the grace, the mercy, the compassion, the justice, it, it doesn't originate from us. It is a reflection from the Son of God. Jesus is love, so we love. Jesus is generous, so we're generous. Jesus is just, so we're just. Jesus is compassionate, so we're compassionate. He says, 
that not only are the churches like lampstands, but that each church has an angel, or, as the NIV text note says, messenger, that are ministering to it. Okay, now what does that mean? Well, the word angel is used some 60 times in the book of Revelation. And what the stars or angels in the hand of the Son of Man, what they are is not clear. They could be heavenly messengers, as in chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, heavenly being. That would mean that each congregation has a guardian angel looking out for it. It's possible. But if you want to get a written message to a church, you would probably deliver it to the pastor of that church and he would read it to the people. So the seven angels or messengers could refer to earthly messengers, ministers, or pastors, like in chapters 2 and chapters 3. They all refer to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, right, etc., etc. Letters, pen, papyrus, written down to be delivered to the churches. And remember, the purpose of the book of Revelation is a letter written to the seven churches of Asia... But we're no, we know that there were more than seven churches in Asia. And so these are representative churches. So this letter is not just for them. It's written down so that it can be preserved. Well, for churches that come after it. It's preserved for us. And we can learn a lot from these seven letters. Now, I'm not here to tell you how pastors are like angels. That's not the point. The point is that God has important words that he wants the church to know. That's the point. And the fact that God says, write it down, things that are and things to come, tells us that this message is for the future church as well. It is for us. The fact that the word angels is used points to the fact that a spiritual realm also surrounds the church. There may, be, there may come a time when we have to have metal detectors at the entrances of our churches for fear of suicide bombers coming in and blowing him or herself up. Just think of those poor people in Sri Lanka on Easter Physically, we're not being persecuted like them or like the early Christians were or Christians in some other parts of the world, but there is a spiritual war going on for our souls, for the souls of our youth and our children. It's where Ephesians 6 says, our war is not against flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, and spirits. There are forces at work in the world that do hate God. They really do hate us, and they really do oppose God, and they really do oppose us. This passage from Revelation tells us that there are messengers working against demonic forces, 
protecting our church and every Christian church from heresy, false teaching, unnecessary division, immoral conduct, those kinds of ways that Satan likes to bait our hook, wants to, us to bite and reel us in toward eternal separation from God. And so the office of the ministry, the pastors, are charged with using God's word to protect the church from false teaching. And what I find amazing and so comforting is that the church is typified as seven golden lampstands, and Jesus is where? He's walking among them. Jesus is with the church. And that's the message here. It is of great comfort. You see, we're not pantheists or panatheists. We don't go out into the woods and say, well, I'm going to find the cosmic karmic energy in the rivers or the trees, and I'm going to connect with it so that I would know God. We believe that God made the world and nature and that it reveals something of him. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. We see something about God in creation, but we don't primarily learn about Jesus from creation. We learn about Jesus from the book that is taught in the church. We also don't believe, like many Eastern religions, that there is a spark of God within us and that through such things as meditation or yoga, going into ourselves, there we will find God deep within. That's why we don't believe in things like prayer labyrinths, where you start on the outside and you walk into yourself. And the goal is to arrive as an individual person closing in on himself or herself to find God. No, if you want to learn more about Jesus, your Savior, if you want to learn more about God, we don't go out into creation. We don't go into ourselves. Be with God's people because Jesus is with God's people, the church. And that's what it's saying. You want to learn more about Jesus, get plugged into the church. The word church, ecclesia, literally means the assembly of the called out ones. And we live in this day and age where it's a fad and a fashionable thing to criticize the church or to oppose the church or to leave the church or to use the church for whatever. Political causes, social ministry, such things may, may or may not be bad, but Christ loves the church. Christ died for the church. Christ's plan for the world is the church. And when Jesus shows up, he's talking about the church. He's not talking about anything else, but everything focuses, when Jesus shows up, on the health, well-being, comfort, and provision for the church. And that's what this whole book is about, Jesus and his people, the church. And it is so comforting to know, as God's people, that Jesus doesn't abandon us. When Jesus shows up with his people... There is peace. Just like right after the resurrection, just like any other time, when Jesus is there, there is peace and there is comfort. God wants to bring his people peace, comfort, and hope. Now, can you imagine the Apostle John? He saw Jesus risen from the dead. He saw Jesus ascended into heaven. Then he saw Jesus no more. For 60 years, he saw people come and go in the church. He saw God's grace at work in the gospel to bring people 
in and create and sustain faith in them. And then he saw how false teaching and persecution would cause them to fall away. He saw it all. His ministry was very long. And here he was exiled on an island called Patmos. He was helpless to do anything because in his dying years, he was separated from God's people. And I'm sure he was afraid for the churches that he loved and that he literally had served. Now, some of you are very afraid for the future of the church, and rightly so. It is being attacked from the outside by anti-Christian propaganda, and there is a world out there that hasn't got a clue of what goes on in the church. The media blows up all the bad stories, and the good stories, well, by its very nature, the church doesn't brag about all the good things it does, so no one really knows. Some of you are afraid for the future of the church. And just like at the end of the first century, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beliefs of the powers that be are on a collision course. And it gets increasingly harder for us to not only believe the gospel, but to do what Jesus commanded us to do, called us together to do, which is to preach the gospel to the world. And when we preach the gospel to the world, we're on a collision course with the beliefs of the world, a world that is threatened by the gospel, a world that wants to suppress the truth of it. And so the early church wondered when it would be their turn to be rounded up, thrown to the lions, burned at the stake. We sit in our pews on pins and needles, wondering if we'll be bombed, if a gunman might walk into our sanctuary and open fire, or when they will outlaw altogether the faith. There is fear. Just like in the first century, there is fear today. And I need you to know that fear is not something to be embraced. Fear is not to be accepted. Fear is not to be accommodated. Fear is not to be explained, fear of anything or anyone other than God is something to be repented of because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. We are to fear, love, and trust in God more than anybody else. And so fear is the opposite of faith. But we as God's children will fear and that's why God's word comes into our lives to calm our fears. One of the most frequently used phrases in the Bible is fear not. 150 times it says fear not. And Jesus shows up to John, and it's just absolutely beautiful. And what do you think Jesus tells John? Verse 17, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So here's what Jesus does to a frightened John who is worried not so much about himself, but he's worried about his loved ones. He's worried about his brothers and sisters in the faith, his fellow believers. He's worried about his church. And Jesus shows up. He puts his hand 
on John's shoulder and he says, fear not. What a beautiful picture. I've gone from Genesis to Revelations. I've gone through every occasion I can find, roughly 150 times in the Bible, and God says, fear not. And almost invariably, every single time that God says, fear not, he says something else that's really important. And a lot of times, it's, fear not, I am with you. It's like a friend coming along and saying, don't be scared, I'm going to go through this with you. I'm right here. And that's what he does with John. He shows up, puts his hand on him, and tells him he's not alone. And more importantly, he tells him just who his Savior is. And so just like Peter, when he was afraid, when he was out there walking on the water and the storm and the waves looked insurmountable, he focused on Jesus, his Savior, and he was able to be saved. Yeah. Jesus comes to John, shows up, puts his hand on him, and tells him he's not alone, and tells him just who he is again. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. Wow. The list in the Bible of who God said fear not to is pretty impressive. Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, David. God spoke to all of them, fear not. And David recorded those wonderful words in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is where John is at in his life. I will fear not, for thou art with me. You cannot help but think of Jesus' final words to his disciples as he ascended into heaven, the end of Matthew. He's physically leaving them, but he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Don't be afraid. Persevere in Jesus, worship Jesus, serve Jesus' church, give to Jesus' church. Do not be afraid, not because it's all going to be fine, not because it's all going to get better, but because Jesus is with you and Jesus is in control. And in that way, our life is not tribulation-free, but it is tribulation proof. There is nothing that will happen to you that Jesus is not right there with you. We can endure whatever opposition, suffering through relationship with Jesus and his people together. And that's the big message here to John and to all of us. And let me say this to you. All of you who are getting up there in age, whose families have died, whose friends have died, whose health and mobility has kept you from your relationships, and you're finding yourself more and more alone in this life, just like John, only for different reasons. And this is such a beautiful picture, a beautiful vision for all of us. On the final day of your life, 
when you're facing your greatest challenge and your fiercest foe, death, and you're worried about yourself or you're worried about your loved ones, I want you to remember this verse. I want you to picture Jesus, your Savior and your God, standing over you with his hand on your shoulder, and he says, don't worry, don't be afraid. I have the keys of death and Hades. Death didn't lock me up and it won't lock you up. I have the key. And when you die, I will unlock the grave that will hold you and you will be free and alive forevermore. You'll be free from pain. You'll be free from sorrow. You'll be free from sickness. You'll be free from loneliness. You'll be free from persecution. You'll be free from false teaching. You'll be free from sin and free from death forevermore. The peace of God, which passes all human understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus your Lord to everlasting life. Amen.